0: A reading from the Acts of the Apostles, beginning in chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God. and Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our story continues. And in previous weeks, as we journeyed through Acts, we saw how the church was growing. And that group that started out with 12 is now up to the hundreds, if not thousands. Surely any bishop would be delighted to see such growth. Hang around church circles long enough, maybe synods, conferences, conferences, Even in the Church of Ireland Gazette, you'll hear about the importance of church growth. There are books with strategies on how to do it, models, techniques of how to grow your church. And I noticed on the internet, you can even hire a church growth consultant to help you unblock the problems that lead to your numbers stagnating. Now, most of this is good and it's important And it's necessary. We all want to see churches thrive. We want to see people grow in faith. However, church growth is almost always positively framed. We're led to believe there's no negative consequences. People judge success by the size of the congregation. But in our passage we see start to see some problems as a result of the church growing. When organizations grow and change, difficulties can emerge, cracks can appear, people start to feel left out, and in this situation, the widows, identified culturally as Greek, are being left out of food distribution. I sometimes watch a TV show called The Undercover Boss, I don't know if anybody else watches it. And it really, it features the manager of a big company. And the company's usually started out as something small and noble. Maybe a local coffee shop that becomes a chain. Or a garage that becomes a franchise of car showrooms. And in the show, the boss goes undercover. And spends time working in different parts of the organization. To understand how, as things have grown, invariably things have gone wrong how people have been overlooked, how people have been sidelined, how the original vision, which was often fuelled by integrity and goodness, has got blurred or waylaid as a result of growth. And the show almost always ends with the person having to make some corrections or readjustments. And this is all very normal. Bruce Tuckman in the 1960s, identified that when groups begin they very quickly hit a stage called the storming stage and whilst in storming individuals start to push against the established ways of working and we expect to see friction and tension as people have different ideas and priorities but if left unchecked it can lead to confrontations or simmering tensions And in our passage, we see the church, the early church, in a spot of difficulty. And I think a number of things are happening to cause this strain. Firstly, as we read, the church is now made up of two different and distinct groupings of people. And they're trying to navigate a way together. The old guard and the young Turks are trying to grow together and maintain unity. Bringing different groups together is never easy. The two groups here, the Hellenists, referred to as Greek-speaking Jews, not from Israel, and the Hebrews, whose primary language was Aramaic. And they came from very different cultures, even spoke different languages. So it was very easy for an us-and-them mentality to rise up. There's a famous story of two rugby clubs, very close to here, who tried to join forces and in some way work together in order to survive. They bought land down by the river and moved in together. Yet the differences were too much. What came about was two different bars, two sets of changing rooms, still two teams, and the club flag flown on different days. And we know more than most in our country that bringing people together and unifying is always harder in practice than in theory. But the surface issue we hear about is this dispute about Hellenistic widows being overlooked in distribution of food. And I really think it could have been anything. We all know in our own relationships that the thing that's rowed about is often just symbolic of a deeper division. The row about the dishwasher or the feeding of the cat often speaks to something deeper. Power, control. Whose needs should take priority? Who's really in charge? And this incident presents a major test for the early church. Is the gospel the message of Jesus, powerful enough to bring different people, different groups together, and knit them together in one body. And in credit to the early church, we see them take the issue seriously. The complaint is duly noted, it's acknowledged, it's not defended, we don't hear anybody say there's nothing to see here. This young, growing body of believers embrace the problem and find an immediate workable solution. I'm sure our own select vestry wished it could only be so easy. And if we look at the names of those who were selected, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmias, Nicholas, they're Greek names. With a workable solution, the outcome is that the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So why linger on this passage any longer? Is is this not a great exemplar of church governance an emphatic justification for the need of deacons to meet practical needs? Yes. But in coming weeks as we unpack this story of Acts, we'll learn this isn't the only time issues of diversity and difference in the church come to the fore and need to be ironed out. As the proverb goes, forewarned is forearmed. What can we learn from this incident as we strive to see our community of faith grow and widen here in Beaver? The widows have been neglected and excluded. Each of us in our own lives will have had experiences of being excluded, left out, overlooked, and it's not pleasant. Maybe you were the last one to be. Maybe you were excluded from a sports team. Or like I was in football, the last one to be picked and put back in goals. Maybe we'd been surprised to be left out or not invited to a social gathering, a wedding. Maybe excluded from employment based on account of our religious or cultural background. As a teenager, I remember for a very short time my brother and I getting interested in golf and we both bought a cheap set of clubs and played around the local course. It was called Aberdelge. Does anybody know Aberdelge? Local council course in Lisburn. But we had friends and they had joined the private club and we thought we'd like to join too. So we managed to, to persuade our parents, if only it was that easy, I still remember my brother and I as 14 year olds having to get references from people, to be interviewed in some stuffy room at the club. And at the end, they said, no, <laughs> for some reason we weren't suitable. We didn't have the right social pedigree. We weren't the desirable type. With hindsight, I should have told them I went to Pond Park Nursery and that would have got <laughs> me in. Jeffrey's not here. He'd have vouched for me. Uh (laughs) Funny story, but the church must never become a club. A place where you're in or out. A place that only caters for its select. Where people don't feel part of it because they're seen as the wrong type. As Tom used to say when he was here, The center of gravity of the church should always be outside of itself. We're always for the people who are yet to discover God. And the church is unique in that it doesn't exist for itself, but for those who are yet to join, or those who are not yet comfortable to be with us. The church must have lots of doors in for a reason. As I was thinking about this during the week, came to thought, just take a moment to think, who's the person we'd be most surprised to see at church? Who's the person we'd be most surprised to see at church? And I have a picture of them here.. This is when everything could go wrong. The picture of who we should be most surprised to see at church. The most surprising person we should expect to see at church is any one of us. We were all outsiders at some point, and by grace, not by our own merits, Christ sought us, and we discovered him. And we're now part of this body called the church. And when we come in, we keep the door wide behind us so we can welcome others in also and know that they belong. For years, I was outside the church. In fact, I used to drive past this church every Sunday from our house in the Four Winds over to LA Fitness at Shaw's Bridge. And I used to see the cars parked here and say to myself, What's the point? Why? What's so joyful about spending your Sunday morning there? And then by the grace of God, the movement of the Holy Spirit, and I have to say a big dose of God's sense of humor, I find I'm part of the family here. And it's somewhat ironic standing at the front, speaking to you now. And we'll see in the coming weeks the challenge for the early church as they try to broaden and widen to welcome and make space for those who were so very different. Just a short passage from John's Gospel. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. John's Gospel looks to a time when there'll be one flock and one shepherd, when all is completed in the final victory of God. However, we live in this middle time between Christ's earthly ministry and the end of time, and we need to remind ourselves time and time again that Jesus doesn't distinguish between those he loves and those he doesn't. He loves us all. Unlike the golf club, he didn't cross-examine people about their goodness and worthiness before deciding to embrace them in love and bring healing and draw them to him. And we must never set up barriers Christ himself would never have sanctioned. One of the most vivid and inspiring portrayals of the kingdom of God appears in Reverend Martin Luther King's notion Of the beloved community. In the face of bigotry and racial hatred, King dreamt of a transformed world, a society where people would not be judged by their creed, their gender, the color of their skin, but would be accepted for who they were. And he called this the beloved community. And surely the church exists to be a living and breathing example Of the beloved community to be a place of unconditional acceptance a place where difference is celebrated where anyone and everyone can experience the love of God the beloved community celebrates diversity it's a safe space for people to be different I think any church where everyone looks the same believes exactly the same things behaves exactly the same way, is a sorry expression of the beloved community. In the beloved community, there's room for all. Those who don't work and those who do work. Those who earn in the top tax brand or band or those on universal credit. Those who did well at school or those who were told there was no hope for them. Those who are good with their hands and those who are good with their brains. Those with disabilities, mental illness. There's room for Brexiteers and Remainers. Room for different opinions and points of view. High churchers, low churchers, charismatics, evangelicals and even contemplatives. Room for doubters and questioners. Those who are certain and those who are still seeking. All nice in theory, but that's grounded into reality and the messiness and complexity of life in which we find ourselves and it isn't easy. Two things happened this week that I maybe want to share. And one happened yesterday and it's about my cousin Last year, my cousin opened a cafe in Balmahinch to provide an opportunity for people with learning disabilities to gain skills, to find employment, and ultimately to find community. And yesterday he woke up to messages of hate because apparently being openly gay brings shame and disgrace to his town. And some would rather him close up shop and go away than continue to provide hope an opportunity to a group often overlooked. And in, in acknowledging that differences of opinion do exist around sexuality and it's not worked out in the church, might the beloved community always be a place characterised by love, grace, and welcome? Never a place where people feel victimised or diminished because of their sexuality. And as a church, may we seek wisdom and always strive for unity as we continue to work these issues out. And in a week where a nursery school decided not to open their doors in the Braniel Estate because of the threats they received for teaching four-year-olds Irish language, might we know there's always a welcome in the beloved community, whatever your language is, whether it's Ulster Scots, Irish or Polish, because language doesn't always have to divide. Just in the last year, a church here in Belfast commissioned a Persian speaking parish reader to help minister to the growing number of Iranians in their church. What might God want for us here in Beaver? In the beloved community, we don't come here because we're scrubbed up, perfect human beings, but a gathering of broken people seeking to become whole. We join the beloved community, this mismatch of believers, doubters, doing our besters, because we desperately need God. And we know we need to walk this journey of faith together, rather than alone. Amen.